Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at a range of different ways we get around, from cars to buses to trains and planes. I'm David Brown and this week our news stories with David Campbell include how road accidents around the world have become the greatest killer of our young people. We have a motoring minute on the relaunch of the Sanyong brand in Australia and Errol Smith and I discuss a range of topics including new on the market here in Australia, the Audi Q8, GM bashing and losing names of cars. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. So let's get started. Here's the news. A recent UN report advises that in 2016, global fatalities from motoring accidents were 1.35 million, with Africa remaining the most dangerous place in the world to drive. According to the World Health Organization, more people die in Africa from road-related injuries than from HIV, tuberculosis and other waterborne diseases like cholera or dysentery. To put Africa's towering death rates in perspective, It's 26.6 fatalities per 100,000, and that is almost three times that of Europe, which has the lowest rate of road deaths. The report also suggests that car accidents are now the leading cause of death among children and young adults. Most at risk on our roads are motorcycle riders and passengers who account for roughly 28% of all road deaths. The report suggests many countries within Africa and South America should start implementing appropriate speed limits to reduce the number of casualties. Half of the 54 countries in Africa currently don't have any speed limits at all. Despite the rise in the global road toll, the report says that due to an increase in population, the death rate globally has remained static. Cycling lanes, better traffic legislation governing speed... Seatbelt use and improved vehicle standards have all played a role in reducing road deaths in many countries. With less than a month to go to the end of the year, Toyota will certainly take the 2018 Australian new vehicle sales crown. Again, Toyota sales have already passed the 200,000 mark, almost double that of the nearest contender, and up 0.8% on the first 11 months of last year. Mazda will retain its second placing, with Hyundai taking the third step on the podium. But it is less certain down the pack, where Holden, Kia, Nissan and Volkswagen are fighting over places 6 to 9 on the sales ladder. In sixth place, Holden has floundered this year, as its sales plummeted over 28% to just 55,000 vehicles at the end of November. The one-time market leader has had to come to terms with the hole in its lineup caused by the closure of its Australian manufacturing plant in October last year. Commodore sales have fallen almost 60% on the switch to the imported German model. Europe's Independent New Car Assessment Programme, or Euro NCAP, has awarded Jeep's new fourth-generation Wrangler just one safety star, saying it lags far behind its competitors on safety. However, the rugged off-roader fared better than its Fiat Chrysler stablemate, the Fiat Panda, which received zero stars, thus joining another Fiat offering, the Punto, as the only cars to bomb out completely in the European test regime. 
the Panda and Punto at least have the excuse of being older cars that Euro NCAP felt the need to test again against the latest safety requirements. However, the Wrangler is new, having been launched in North America earlier this year and now in Europe. A Europe NCAP spokesman said that it is truly disappointing to see a brand new car being put on sale in 2018 with no autonomous braking system and no lane assistance. It's high time we saw a product from the Fiat Chrysler Group offering safety to rival its competitors. South Korean sister companies Hyundai and Kia have launched an investigation into errors in official European driving range testing for their closely related electric vehicles, the Hyundai Kona Electric and the Kia e-Nitro. The companies have issued a correction for the claimed figures, blaming incorrect testing methodology provided by an independent testing organisation hired to oversee the tests for the new worldwide harmonised light vehicle testing procedure that is now mandatory in Europe and the United Kingdom. The companies have issued revised figures for both vehicles, with the Kona's range being trimmed 21 kilometres to 449 kilometres, while the e-Nitro comes down 30 kilometres to 455 kilometres. A number of Volkswagen variants will be dropped from the German carmaker's European lineup in the coming years as it seeks to improve its earnings performance and increase its focus on e-mobility. Volkswagen said it would discontinue 25% of its European market engine transmission variants with low customer demand in the next 12 months. However, the company is yet to provide more specific details. A spokesman for the Volkswagen Group in Australia said the variant rationalisation was unlikely to impact the Australian model range. And finally, BMW Australia says it's about to ramp up its new model onslaught with plans for at least seven new models or variants that are set to land during the first half of 2019, helping improve its sales that are down 3.4% this year. Following the recent launch of its fourth-generation X5 large SUV, BMW will kick off the fresh product rollout in the first quarter of next year with the updated i3 electric hatch, the X2 M35i crossover and the 8-series M850i coupe and convertible. The Z4 drop-top sports star will then arrive in quarter two, as well as the new generation 3-series sedan and the M-rated X3 and X4 performance SUV pair. And that has been the news. And like last week, we've decided to chat with one of our regulars for the whole program, and I'm very thankful to have on the line again, Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. Errol, I've been driving the Audi Q8. It is their king of their SUV range now. The Previously, they had their biggest SUV was the Q7, and now we've gone one step up as the Q8. It's bigger mm-hmm. and better. Well, actually, it's not bigger. It's actually slightly less in length and slightly lower, not quite as much in height. But the key factor is, Errol, it is wider. And therein lies the tail, because (laughs) we're trying to make it look aggressive. Ah, of course. It's got to be wide. Hmm. It's got to have a a stance on the road. Yes. And the front bonnet curves down a little bit and the and the front of the grille isn't as big and so therefore it doesn't have that bull nose look that you often get with SUVs. Mm. It's a little bit like 
the Lamborghini SUV that they've got, the Urus. Mm. It's got a fairly sizable body, but it's almost a cut-down roof. You remember the chop tops of America that they had the somewhat mm. cut-down roof? It's not that low, but it's take, starting to look that way. But it is, of course, the fact that we started out with four-wheel drives, tough, rough. It's got a bravado because it went off-road. Sorry, it could go off-road. <laughs> There's a distinction there. Then it morphed into SUVs, which were much more family cars, where the key factor was having seven seats if you had a big one. Yes. This is when they became the, the new station wagon, yes. isn't it? Now, the Q7 has seven seats. The Q8 has only five. Sorry, I'm, the, the, the Q8 doesn't have eight seats? <laughs> no. No, it has five seats. It does not have a third row. That's because it's shorter. So even though it's more, it's further up the model number mm-hmm. chain, it has more volume because it's wider, but it's technically shorter. This is very all very confusing, David. Well, the Q7 is classified in Australia as a large SUV, and the Q8, which is shorter and lower, is classified as an upper large SUV. <laughs> I think you're struggling with this, Errol, and may I say, so am I. Right. Okay, which one costs more? Ah, now that's the factor, the Q8. Of course it does, because basically that the higher that number, it means the more money you spent on it. Correct. I should have had you there to explain it when I was trying to do the video. We'll get a video up uh, fairly soon about this one. Much angled and more creases and things to it, not over the top. I thought it was a, a lovely-looking car if you want an SUV mm. not to look like a family station wagon. Yes, yes. At this stage, it has one engine, a three-litre turbocharged V6, 250 kilowatts, 500 newton metres, but being a petrol, it does get those both at rather high revs. It maximises those around the 5,500 revs per minute. I particularly enjoyed driving it. And what I've got to say, Errol, the interface with the driver, well, it's getting very, very clever. The full digital dash gives you a Google search picture of the way you're driving, if that's what you want, or a stylized picture. We're moving to making the inside and the operation of a car, not the steering wheel, but the operation of the entertainment and other factors, climate, as for example, adjustments of air conditioning and such, like your iPhone. Mm, yes. You press the home button and you get all the apps, things like media, radio, climate, navigation, you can move those around to your preference. Mm. So if you constantly move between navigation and climate or radio, put those two together so that they're always in the top left-hand corner and you can always go to them quickly on a touch screen. Mm. It's not the end of the world, but it's not bad. Mm. I long for this because I find... When I hop in a car, and this one, the top range has heated and cooled front seats. Love that. Of course. But if I get going and if I can't find one button to press quickly, it's no good to me, right? I'd have to stop the car and go through menus. I don't want to do that. I want to be able to say, I know what I want quickly. I'll put that on the screen. They're not fully there yet, but they're starting to get there. Yes. So it has a it has a 10.1 and an 8.6 inch touchscreen integrated into the center console it's pretty impressive tech isn't it and i guess when you're paying the big money which is what you're you'll be shelving out for one of these you expect that yes you want all the goodies
I assume it's got all the uh, self-driving almost but not quite features and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sometimes they can react rather aggressively. We were touring through the sort of uh, highlands of New South Wales and it was twisting roads that you really didn't want that help. It it became pretty Mm. obvious, as it is with other cars, that if you want lane assist to keep you in a lane, just use it on a high standard motorway yeah. where you're you're not moving much at all. Yeah. Mm. To have it on a twisty road, I think, is not as helpful as it might be. But it certainly got helpful if you get the air suspension and uh, you can get it with either 21 or 22-inch wheels. Boy, that's big. Mm. Nice wide wheels and that at that. If you, I've taken a photo of the Q7 and the Q8 and the big from behind. And the big thing you notice is that the width of the wheels. The Q8 yeah. is much more the performance vehicle rather than the family. Yeah, and even though you, I guess you'd still call this a soft rotor, wouldn't you? But it is a it is a quattro all wheel drive system. Yeah. It's not going to be a slouch, and it's going to have a pretty good grip. Actually, I found uh, we did some dirt driving. It's last time I drove a performance SUV from Audi. They didn't mention the dirt at all. That was the the, <laughs> the hot version of the Q7. They did not talk about dirt driving. This one they did, and we went over a bit of dirt driving. And I found it wasn't quite as skatey as, say, the BMW X5 we drove a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It was, you know, I think a little better. I was uh, still road tyres. You're not going to be perfect. They will later bring out a more four-wheel drive package and they will bring mm. out a diesel engine later as well. Mm. Will they bring in the SQ8, which is there would be a real hot one, as there is a, an SQ7, and they said, well, that's not been decided at this stage. Mm. I take that as a Yes. Okay, right. I mean, it does have a fair amount of power out of the box as it is. Yeah. I assume with the air suspension, you can adjust the the ride height. So it's got a bit of that. You know how you normally have three modes you can choose from? A a normal, a economic, and a sports mode? Yes. Uh, With the air suspension, you have seven choices. (laughs) (laughs) They should have made it eight to to go with the name. (laughs) Yes. Should have been the Audi Q8 with eight everything. You know, we should have had eight seats and eight eight suspension settings and eight gears and Errol, you know, Errol. Eight, eight, eight cylinders. Errol, it's got eight gears. <laughs> so they knew what you wanted. Now, to quote a, a certain advertisement, tell them the price, son. 128900 of course, plus on-road costs. Audi also does have quite tempting range of additional features until you look at the price. <laughs> yeah, 128900 actually isn't too bad, given what the recent BMW X5 has uh, come out with. So it's out of my range, but possibly mm. pitching around the right sort of figure there. You're listening to Overdrive. And now a motoring minute with Rob Fraser from anyauto.com.au. Sangyong has relaunched themselves into the Australian market with a four model lineup the Tivoli, the Tivoli XLV, Rexton, and the vehicle we're talking about here today, the four wheel drive dual cab Muso. Sangyong has a bit of a history of building robust four wheel drive vehicles starting nearly 60 years ago when they built Jeeps for the US Army. The Musso four-wheel drive key highlights include a roomy and comfortable interior, 
strong towing and four-wheel drivability. It is packed with standard features and from early 2019 there is an abundance of safety features. Powered by a 2.2 litre turbo diesel engine that is perhaps a little behind its competitors in power, Musso compensates with high torque at low revs for smooth driving through a six-speed transmission. The Musso comes in three variants, EX, ELX and Ultimate, two transmissions and one engine. With driveway pricing from around $30,000 to just under $40,000, the Musso represents outstanding value and is available now at dealers across Australia. You're listening to Overdrive. Errol, there's been uh, some stories we've covered in our news segment about General Motors cutting back for stopping or idling, as it were, for US plants and cutting 8,000 salaried employees and cutting out a number of cars whose names we've uh, become good to. We'll come to that in a moment. But this whole issue then that they're getting some extremely bad press about it. Is that fair? I mean, what do you do if you're losing money? Is it a charity Mm. or is it community service or is it a profit-making venture? Yes. Well, personally, I I blame Donald Trump. I'm sure he's responsible for many things. Um, (laughs) But I think there's a, a higher degree of anger than we probably would have expected because Trump came in with this whole thing about, you know, bringing back the, the Rust Belt and, you know, manufacturing in the US. And, yes. and so I think, I think there was a bit of optimism in terms of, of car manufacturing. And, you know, people thought, you know, Detroit's coming back now that Trump's in. I think this is sort of people are finding that things are swinging the wrong way. Hmm. Not, things aren't going the way that they expected. They're copying more flack because of that, I think. Errol, you're saying a slogan isn't going to make things better? <laughs> what, make, make General Motors better? Yeah. <laughs> make General Motors great again, sorry. <laughs> if you go back, one of the great criticisms that the current administration has said is that Mexico started up manufacturing in order to sell to the American market, and it's Mexicans who are, are the baddies. The people who decided to build, get things built in America were American CEOs, and they got big bonuses for reducing costs. And, in fact, mm. one of the companies that made that decision was Donald Trump's company of, to do with clothing. They got them made in China, and <laughs> that was a decision not what these evil, so-called evil countries outside are doing nasty things to America. It's what American management decided to do in order to drive down costs. Yes, of course. The notion that it's just things happening outside is a little bit like saying the great condemnation of immigration and immigrants is that they take American jobs. No, no, they're given American jobs. Yes. And they often, you know, wind up doing jobs that Americans don't want. Yeah. <laughs> the solution here is fairly obvious, David. Um, they need to build that wall. <laughs> Just stop stop the cars coming over the over the border. That'll that'll fix everything. They're trying to, they're trying to block out the immigrants, so let's block out the cars. <laughs> Talking about immigrants doing jobs that no Americans would want to do, we we you know, I have a degree of respect for Melania Trump. Clearly, she's done a job that other Americans didn't want to do, which is marry 
McDonald. The thing, though, is that, you know, we got here in Australia very aggressive against the car manufacturers that were building in Australia, and we caned them in Parliament, talked about them like mm. they, they were the minister, and they left. They didn't condemn the government. They never went out of their way to condemn them, but they just left. Now, I'm not saying it's as simple as they, got, you know, they picked up the bat and went home, but it certainly didn't help them to stay, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. And it's a whole idea that you can create the baddies. Well, in a world market, I don't want you to pander to them. And the electric car industry now does not want to get money for themselves. They want the government to pick up things like charging stations mm. and foster that. And the NRMA, mm. the Motoring Club of New South Wales, is doing a program. But it's not being backed up by government. It's not being facilitated and we really are being left behind. Now, Errol, one of the things that General Motors did was they dropped a couple of name tags. Now, in Australia, they're doing that. The Barina and the Holden Spark have gone. Barina had a great cachet here, didn't it? Mm. It's a very well-known model name in Australia. But if you think about it over the years, it was very inconsistent because it was basically made by about four or five different manufacturers over the year and was sort of basically a rebadged version of yes. somebody's something. You know, I remember the early ones were a Suzuki Swift with a with a Holden badge. Yes. And, you know, we've had, you know, a Daewoo and we've had a, all the, the bits and pieces in between. It's better that it goes away because people sort of don't really quite know what it is anymore aside from that it's a small car. That is a brilliant point, Errol. That's absolutely right. See... The interesting thing, the Corolla has done the same, but it's maintained quality. Mm. The Corolla started out as a very small, practical budget, rear-wheel drive, north-south engine car. Mm. And it's ended up as a front-wheel drive, typical type of car with a, you know, a whole different range of features. Now, the VW Beetle held its name, but then they brought it back, and that never worked. No. Very few of those things worked, didn't they? I think when bringing it back, your point, Errol, is that maybe it was a, a step, one big step, too far. Mm. But when we move to the Holden Spark, I don't think anybody will remember this car anyway. No. And it was a really stupid name for a petrol car in an age of growing interest in electric vehicles. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's close to a false advertising fail from Holden, I think. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's very good, Eric. Yes, absolutely right. They're now talking about the electrification of cars, and we talked about the Audi Q8, and the electrification isn't in the motor. They have a separate 48-volt system to do a whole range of other things, but not in the motor. So... One word is going to mean different things to different people. Now, America, in America, GM has dropped the Impala. Yes. Which, in my history, was a huge big car. We've had the Kingswood. Now, that had great credibility, but maybe you never want to be associated now with that buffhead guy on that sitcom. Yeah. Whenever I hear the term Kingswood, the first thing that comes to mind is that stupid TV show from the 80s called Kingswood Country. Mm. And, and, it, and, you know, him explaining, oh, no, not the Kingswood. Mm. I think the, the name was sort of permanently tarred with the, <laughs> the brush of that show. It's probably better better leaving that one, you know, back where, where, it, where it belongs, belongs. Back, in, back in the 80s. As for the, the Impala, I don't really remember the Impala in Australia. 
Um, I think we may have had it as a rebadged as something else. No, no, I think Um, we had the big ones. That was people who imported an American, you know, gigantic car. There was the Mm. Impalas that came. There's some other names, Errol. Are you happy to see the demise of things like the Nissan Cedric? (laughs) Mitsubishi. It gets better. Mitsubishi had one called Mum 500, Shall We Join Us? (laughs) Peugeot had one. Only from Japan. (laughs) Peugeot had one, the Bipper TP. Suzuki had the Van Van, which is surprising (laughs) because it was a motorbike. (laughs) They also had Every Joy Pop Turbo. The Studebaker had the Dictator which I would have thought after World War II wasn't. Jaguar had SS before the World War II, but they got rid of that after for obvious reasons. Yes. Daihatsu charade, social pause. Now, Daihatsu also had the naked, <laughs> which speaks of elegance and flow, but it looked like something that you would see down on the beach and you didn't want to. <laughs> Somebody that really should have been covering up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think most of those names are best left behind. And the marketing person that decided that they would actually name something like that should probably find another job. As for the Impala, I would really love to have a 67 Chevy Impala in black, uh-huh. only because there's a certain TV show called Supernatural, of course, which is that is it's like the uh, one of the main characters in the show. Ah, well, you're beyond me there, Errol. I'm, yes, yes. I'm still caught up with the Great Wall Wingle <laughs> or the Ford Probe. I was on radio one time. Oh, God, I remember that. And I'm like, oh, dear, why didn't you... Why didn't you just call it the Ford appendage? You know, the Ford, the Ford jet. Let's just call it the Ford genital and get it over with. I was on radio and I talked to the lady who was interviewing me each week, and we talked about car names before. And then I mentioned the program. She said, "Oh, what a!" You know, I said, "What a horrible name." She said, "Oh, yeah, but it's not as bad as what was the one we had before." I said, "Oh, the the Starlet," and she said, "Oh, look, I'd much rather have a probe than a Starlet." <laughs> The secret of those situations is to say absolutely nothing. Yes, I'm with you. I think the um, Dodgers had some pretty pretty stupid named cars too. Yes, indeed. Anyway, we'll talk about those because a lot of them are very macho and we're going to talk about that subject in weeks ahead. Errol, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. No worries, David. And that's Errol Smith. There we were, talking from new cars on the market to condemning car manufacturers who are only doing their job right through to silly car names here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Errol Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. We also have a Facebook page called Overdrive City. One word, if you search for that in Facebook, you are sure to find it. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.